0: Chapter forty three of Will Warburton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Will Warburton by George Gissing. Chapter forty three. Warburton's mother was dead. The first effect upon him of the certainty that she could not recover from the unconsciousness in which he found her when summoned by jane's telegram was that of an acute remorse it pierced him to the heart that she should have abandoned the home of her lifetime for the strangeness and discomfort of the new abode and here have fallen stricken by death the cause of it he himself he so unworthy of the least sacrifice he had loved her but what assurance had he been wont to give her of his love? Through many and many a year, it was much if he wrote at long intervals a hurried letter. How seldom had he cared to go down to St. Neots, and, when there, how soon had he felt impatient of the little restraints imposed upon him by his mother's ways and prejudices. Yet not a moment had she hesitated, ill and aged, when, at so great a cost to herself, it seemed possible to make life a little easier for him. This reproach was the keenest pain with which nature had yet visited him. Something of the same was felt by his sister, partly on her own, partly on his account. But as soon as Jane became aware of his self-torment, her affection and her good sense soon brought succour to them both. She spoke of the life their mother had led since coming into Suffolk, related a hundred instances to prove how full of interest and contentment it had been, bore witness to the seeming improvement of health and the even cheerfulness of spirits which had accompanied it. Moreover, there was the medical assurance that life could not in any case have been prolonged, that change of place and habits counted for nothing in the sudden end which some months ago had been foretold. Jane confessed herself surprised, "'at the ease with which so great and sudden a change was born, "'the best proof that could have been given "'of their mother's nobleness of mind. "'Only once had Mrs Warburton "'seemed to think regretfully of the old home. "'It was on coming out of church one morning "'when, having stood for a moment to look at the graveyard, "'she murmured to her daughter "'that she would wish to be buried at St Neot's. "'This, of course, was done.' It would have been done even had she not spoken. And when, on the day after the funeral, brother and sister parted to go their several ways, the sadness they bore with them had no embitterment of brooding regret. A little graver than usual, Will took his place behind the counter, with no word to Alchin concerning the cause of his absence. He wrote frequently to Jane, and from her received long letters, which did him good. So redolent were they of the garden life, even in midwinter, and so expressive of a frank, sweet, strong womanhood, like that of her who was no more. Meanwhile his business flourished. Not that he much exerted himself, or greatly rejoiced to see his till more heavily laden, night after night, by natural accretion, custom flowed to the shop in fuller stream. Jollyman's had established a reputation for quality and cheapness, and began seriously to affect the trade of small rivals in the district. As Alchin had foretold, the hapless grocer with the drunken wife sank defeated before the end of the year. One morning his shop did not open, and in a few days the furniture of the house was carried off by some brisk creditor. It made Warburton miserable to think of the man's doom, When Alchin, frank barbarian as he was, loudly exulted, Will turned away in shame and anger. Had the thing been practicable, he would have given money out of his own pocket to the ruined struggler. He saw himself as a merciless victor. He seemed to have his heel on the other man's head and to crush, crush. At Christmas, he was obliged to engage a second assistant. Alchin did not conceal his dislike of this step, but he ended by admitting it to be necessary. At first, the new state of things did not work quite smoothly. Alchin was inclined to an imperious manner, which the newcomer, by name Goff, now and then plainly resented, but in a day or two they were on fair terms, and ere long they became cordial. Then befell the incident of Mrs. Cross's Martha." not without uneasiness had a warburton suggested a servant on the recommendation of mrs hopper but credentials seemed to be fairly good and when after a week or two mrs cross declared herself more than satisfied he blessed his good luck long ago he had ceased to look for the reappearance at the shop of bertha cross he thought of the girl now and then generally reverting in memory to that day when he had followed her and her mother into Kew Gardens, a recollection which had lost all painfulness and shone idyllically in summer sunlight. But it mattered nothing to him that Bertha showed herself no more. Of course, she knew his story from Rosamond, and in all likelihood she felt her self-respect concerned in holding aloof from an acquaintance of his ambiguous standing. It mattered not a jot yet when the tragic comedy of martha's outbreak unexpectedly introduced him to the house at Wallham green he experienced a sudden revival of the emotions of a year ago after his brief meeting with bertha he did not go straight back to the shop but wandered a little in quiet byways thinking hard and smiling nothing more grotesque than the picture of mrs cross amid her shattered crockery mrs cross pointing to the prostrate martha Mrs. Cross panting forth the chronicle of her woes, but Mrs. Cross's daughter was not involved in this scene of pantomime. She walked across the stage, but independently, with a simple dignity, proof against paltry or ludicrous circumstance. If anyone could see the laughable side of such domestic squalor, assuredly it was Bertha herself. Of that Will felt assured. "'Did he not remember her smile "'when she had to discuss prices and qualities in the shop? "'Not many girls smile with so much implication of humorous comment. "'He had promised to look out for another servant, "'but hardly knew how to go to work. First of all, Mrs. Hopper was summoned to an interview "'in the parlour behind the shop, "'and Martha's case was fully discussed. "'With much protesting and circumlocution, Mrs. Hopper brought herself at length to own that Martha had been known to take too much, but that was so long ago, and the girl had solemnly declared, etc., etc. However, as luck would have it, she did know of another girl, a really good general servant, who had only just been thrown out of a place by the death of her mistress, and who was living at home in Kentish Town. Thither sped Warburton. He saw the girl and her mother— "'and, on returning, sent a note to Mrs. Cross, "'in which he detailed all he had learned "'concerning the new applicant. "'At the close he wrote, "'You are aware, I think, "'that the name under which I do business is not my own. "'Permit me, in writing to you on a private matter, "'to use my own signature,' "'which accordingly followed. "'Moreover, he dated the letter from his lodgings, "'not from the shop. "'The next day brought him a reply.' He found it on his breakfast table and broke the envelope with amused curiosity. Mrs. Cross wrote that Sarah Walker had been to see her and if inquiries proved satisfactory, would be engaged. We are very greatly obliged for the trouble you have taken. Many thanks for your kind inquiries as to my health. I am glad to say that the worst of the shock has passed away, though I fear that I shall long continue to feel its effects. A few remarks followed on the terrible difficulties of the servant question. Then, "'Should you be disengaged on Sunday next, "'we shall be glad if you will take a cup of tea with us.' Over his coffee and egg, Will pondered this invitation. It pleased him undeniably, but caused him no undue excitement. He would have liked to know in what degree Mrs Cross's daughter was a consenting party to the step. Perhaps she felt that, after the services he had rendered, the least one could do was to invite him to tea. Why should he refuse? Before going to business, he wrote a brief acceptance. During the day, a doubt now and then troubled him as to whether he had behaved discreetly, but on the whole he looked forward to Sunday with pleasant expectation. How should he equip himself? Should he go dressed as he would have gone to the Pomfrets in his easy-walking attire, jacket and soft felt, "'or did the circumstances dictate chimney-pot and frock-coat?' "'He scoffed at himself for fidgeting over the point. "'Yet perhaps it had a certain importance. "'After deciding for the informal costume, "'at the last moment he altered his mind "'and went arrayed as society demands, "'with the result that, on entering the little parlour, "'that name suited it much better than drawing-room, "'he felt overdressed, pompous, generally absurd.' "'His cylinder seemed to be about three feet high. "'His gloves stared their newness. "'The tails of his coat felt as though "'they were wrapped several times round his legs "'and still left enough to trail upon the floor "'as he sat on a chair too low for him. "'Never since the most awkward stage of boyhood "'had he felt so little at ease in company, "'and he had a conviction that Bertha Cross "'was laughing at him. "'Her smile was too persistent.' it could only be explained as a compromise with threatening merriment. A gap in the conversation prompted Warburton to speak of a little matter which was just now interesting him. It related to Mr. Potts, the shopkeeper in Kennington Lane, whom he used to meet, but of whom for a couple of years and more he had quite lost sight. Stirred by reproach of conscience, he had at length gone to make inquiries, "'but the name of Potts was no longer over the shop. "'I went in and asked whether the old man was dead. "'No, he had retired from business "'and was lodging not far away. "'I found the house, a rather grimy place, "'and the door was opened by a decidedly grimy woman. "'I saw at once that she didn't care to let me in. "'What was my business?' and so on. "'But I held firm and got at last into a room on the second floor.' an uncomfortable sitting-room where poor old potts welcomed me if only he had known my address he said he should have written to tell me the news his son in america the one i knew was doing well and sent money every month enough for him to live upon but was he comfortable in those lodgings i asked of course i saw that he wasn't and i saw too that my question made him nervous he looked at the door and spoke in a whisper The upshot of it was that he had fallen into the hands of a landlady who victimised him. Just because she was an old acquaintance, he didn't feel able to leave her. "'Shall I help you to get away?' I asked him, and his face shone with hope. Of course the woman was listening at the keyhole, we both knew that. When I went away she had run half down the stairs, and I caught her angry look before she hid it with a grin. I must find decent lodgings for the old fellow as soon as possible he is being bled mercilessly how very disgraceful exclaimed mrs cross really the meanness of some women of that class her daughter had her eyes cast down on her lips the faintest suggestion of a smile i wonder whether we could hear of anything suitable pursued her mother by inquiring of people we know out at holloway i'm thinking of the boltons bertha Mr. Potts' requirements were discussed, Bertha interesting herself in the matter and making various suggestions. The talk grew more animated. Warburton was led to tell of his own experience in lodgings. Catching Bertha's eye, he gave his humour full scope on the subject of Mrs. Wick, and there was merriment in which even Mrs. Cross made a show of joining. "'Why?' she exclaimed. "'Do you stay in such very uncomfortable rooms?' Doesn't matter, Will replied. It's only for a time. Ah, you have other views? Yes, he answered, smiling cheerfully. I have other views. End of chapter 43